Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pratica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies, and your host for the program. This is episode 12 of season two of the Grizz Weekly Grind, and a big show for you today. A return of the NBA mailbag, and also we have a friend of the program with us today, uh, a returnee from season one, Mark Followill, longtime television voice of the Dallas Mavericks, will join me to talk about the current state of the Mavericks as the Grizzlies will face Dallas in Dallas on Saturday night. We've got Petey's points, and of course, that was the week that was. But before we get to all of that, let's tell you that the Grizz Weekly Grind is being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. Since 2005, their mission has been to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community, too. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. If you'd like more information on how to become part of this great sports and character-building club, log on to HoopCityBC.com, and you can follow them on Twitter at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. So go ahead and check that out. Um, like I said, a lot to get to today as I sit here and record this, uh, trying to get ready for the Oklahoma City game, uh, the Thunder in Memphis uh, for the first time this season. Uh, they're on a back-to-back. They lost Wednesday night to Houston, blew a big lead. Uh, it's a it's a young, inexperienced team. They've got a lot of injuries. And uh, we'll recount the uh, basketball game uh, on our next edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind, which will drop on Monday. But for now, let's get to That Was the Week That Was. Only one game to report on, and it was another good one for the Memphis Grizzlies. Of course, you remember over the weekend, they beat the Sacramento Kings. They went wire to wire. Uh, Grizzlies go north of the border. They play the Toronto Raptors in Toronto for the first time since January of 2019. Grizzlies hadn't won in Toronto since uh, 2013. Grizzlies go in, and the game, you need to understand that Gary Trent Jr., who was the decisive factor in the first meeting between these two teams the previous Wednesday, was out with a sore calf. He got kicked in a calf, in his right calf to be specific, uh, in the Indiana game that followed the Memphis game. So he was not available to play. Uh, this was a Raptors team. They've really struggled to shoot the basketball. And in the last four or five games, they've only had one good shooting game and it happened to be in Memphis against the Grizzlies. This was a rock fight. This was not pretty by any stretch of the imagination. Nobody shot better than 40% uh, from the floor. Raptors at 39.5%. Grizzlies at 38.5%. And, and both teams shot below 30% from three. This was not good. If you liked rebounding, this was a really good game for you. The Grizzlies were plus 10, and DeAnthony Melton tied his career high with 10 rebounds in this game. This game also notable for the fact that the Grizzlies, for a second consecutive game, had 10 blocks. Five of them coming from Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, that was a new season high for him. He had five. Kyle Anderson had a couple of blocks as well. Um, the game was remarkable simply for the fact that the Grizzlies never gave up the lead to a Toronto Raptors team that did get within one in the second half. Grizzlies weathered a third quarter storm from the Raptors, and the Grizzlies would hold them off and go on to win 98-91. to Raptors were also without OG Ananobi and Kem Birch. Goran Dragic is not with the team, uh, dealing with personal matters, and I doubt that he will ever play again for the Toronto Raptors. They'll probably move him on to a, a championship contender later on in the year. And, of course, Gary Trent Jr. was out 
for Toronto as well. So uh, it wasn't an easy win, but it was a gutty win. Grizzlies travel north of the border. They beat the Toronto Raptors. I know the Raptors are struggling. Raptors are really struggling at home against teams good and bad. But the Grizzlies get the win, and they get to be a game above 500 at 11-10 and 10 as they look at the Thursday night matchup with the Oklahoma City Thunder. And that was the week that was. Now on to some Petey's points. The Grizzlies, yes, they're 2-0 without John Morant, uh, but they've played two sub-500 teams uh, in that in that time period. What I like about what the Grizzlies are doing right now with John Morant being sidelined with a sprained knee is that the other guys on the team are, are no longer passive observers to the brilliance of John Morant, that they are... Um, they're not standing around and waiting for Ja to do something amazing to to bail them out of a tough tough position, which John ja Moran can do on his own because he has that type of athletic ability. What's happened is this team has really pulled together, uh, particularly on the defensive end, and they've done a very very good job of just being more coordinated, on a string, better at the point of attack uh, defensively, and so they're doing a very good job against teams and. You look at this, you know, the, the Toronto team is not a fantastic um, paint-scoring team. Uh, they get into the paint a lot. They take a lot of shots in the paint. They're just not very successful at converting them. But the Grizzlies help them to 50% shooting in the paint, which normally uh, if you're a good paint-shooting team, you're probably shooting uh, 55% plus. And the Raptors were held to just 34 paint points. So good job by the Grizzlies at the point of attack and in the paint as well. As we talked about, they uh, – had double-digit blocks for the second consecutive game. Um, number two, like I said, they've, they, they've pulled together. I don't know if this is a response to the adversity if or, or, or what it is, but this group is now playing together in a way that maybe they weren't before. Again, I, I think that there it's only human nature. You see what John Moran can do, and you may stand back and say, well, job, you know, make some, make something happen. Uh, this team is not doing that anymore. And at least for the first two games, it's worked out. Now they're going to be playing an Oklahoma City team that isn't very good and has a lot of young players and has a lot of injuries at the moment. So, you know, are we really going to get a barometer on how good this team can be while John Morant sits out against Oklahoma City? Probably not. Now the real test is going to come over the weekend where you go into Dallas on Saturday and play a Dallas team that is now a couple of games above 500. Uh, they're starting to shoot the ball much better. Uh, you'll hear Mark Fowler will talk about, because we recorded this before the New Orleans game, that they blew out the Pelicans on Wednesday night. Uh, he was talking about a shooting slump. Their shooting slump, basically they set a franchise record for field goal percentage against New Orleans. So circling around to the point, the Grizzlies will find out more about how good they can be while they deal with John Morant's injury when they play Dallas and Miami. These first couple of games haven't been a, a, a true test. It's, it's been a good opportunity for them to stack up wins against a couple of sub-500 teams and maybe another one against the Oklahoma City Thunder if, if the Grizzlies mind their, mind their manners and, and take care of business. But the real test is going to come over the weekend. Kind of a short Petey's points today, and that is by design because uh, open up the mailbag and we did get some questions, and I want to get to the mailbag questions before we get to Mark Followell, our friend of the program here on the Grizz Weekly Grind. Um, Tom McKinnon asks, what is the ideal for Santi Aldama? We saw him get early minutes against the Toronto Raptors in Toronto. 
which I think took all of us by surprise. And so he's asking, you know, what, what, what is the ideal? Well, I think the ideal is that you continue to develop him. His body continues to develop a little bit more and he gets acclimated to the NBA game. I think that, look, I don't want to compare him to Marcus Saul because that's a really unfair comparison. I think Marcus Saul might well end up in the in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame because of all of his international success in addition to what he did with the Grizzlies. But the Grizzlies looked at Aldama as being a big who could also be a playmaker. And if they can develop that in him as an understudy to Steven Adams, I think that's where they want to go. What you need to understand is that when Aldama was of interest to the Grizzlies, Aldama made it clear I don't want to be uh, a, a draft and stash, I, and I don't want to be a two-way player and spend all of my time with the G League. If I'm going to do that, I, I just go back to Spain, and, and I'll see you whenever. So there's a desire on his part to be a full member of this team, not a two-way player. And I think the Grizzlies understand that it will take some time to develop him, and I think that, again, it's unfair to compare him to Marcus Gasol, because they're two different players, except for the fact that they're both bigs who are skilled at passing and playmaking. I think Santi Aldama could be a very good role player for the Grizzlies going forward. Uh, it, it just remains to be seen. Which leads me to question number two. Tia Bird asks, what about Xavier Tillman? Xavier Tillman was uh, more in the rotation at the start of the season. He's fallen out of the rotation. He's picking up DMPCDs or mop-up time. Um, this rotation is in a state of flux a little bit, which we saw in the Toronto game where without Zaire Williams, Santi Aldama was one of the first guys off the bench. Taylor Jenkins is trying to figure all of this stuff out, and you're trying to figure it out, trying to win games now, trying to see what you have going forward because the thought process is that you know, let's be realistic. The Grizzlies aren't championship contenders this year. But when do you start opening that window to not just get into the playoffs, but to make a deep playoff run? And so you're trying to figure these things out. Um, you know, Xavier Tillman got a lot of run in summer league, got an opportunity to run the offense a little bit. He's been in, he's been out. Brandon Clark has been in, has been out. Now Brandon Clark has been very productive in his minutes off the bench. So that might be a reason why Xavier Tillman isn't getting as many minutes because Brandon Clark has been much more productive. Xavier's going to get his chance at some point, whether it's because of players being injured or players resting or maybe he impresses in practice and it's time like, hey, we need to give this guy some light and give him an opportunity to play. Uh, like I said, Taylor Jenkins does not have stuff set in stone right now, and so things are variable, and we saw that with Santi Aldama being uh, the first big off the bench for the Grizzlies in the Toronto game. So, uh, if, if, Tia, if you're a, a Xavier Tillman fan, and, and I'm a Xavier Tillman fan, uh, don't fret. I, I just think that this is a, a period of experimentation trying to figure out what lineups go best together. And, and right now, Brandon Clark, as a big off the bench, is being more productive than X, and I think that's probably why Brandon is getting more minutes. If Brandon starts to struggle a little bit, you might see some more X. Uh, and we'll see what happens with Santi Aldama. I think that's really an intriguing development for this Grizzlies team, what happens with Santi Aldama, that he's not just an end-of-the-bench guy. Now he can be a rotational player. 
And uh, I'll be really intrigued to see if he if he gets more minutes now. I didn't shoot the ball real well against Toronto, but he's a big, active body, good passing skills, and so we'll see how all that plays out. Uh, finally, uh, the gentleman who goes by the Twitter handle of Seattle Marinerd, uh, one of the uh, most avid listeners of the podcast, which we really, really appreciate, uh, he asked about pregame rituals and um, you know pregame workouts. I'm not privy to everything that these guys do. I only see what they do on the court. Uh, as I walk by the practice court behind a closed door as I enter the arena for a home game, you'll hear guys getting shots up, doing some workouts, things like that. Um, when they come on the game court at FedEx Forum, typically what will happen is each player is assigned to an assistant coach who is going to work with them. Um, more often than not, they have a set pattern of shooting whether that is around the three-point arc or various points around the court. Uh, you know, depending, you may have Jaron Jackson Jr. working on post moves with Vitaly Potapenko, who is basically our big man coach. Uh, very often, you will see Darko Ryakovich, who is the lead assistant for the Grizzlies, or Blake Ahern, perhaps, sitting with players with a laptop on the bench before the game, going over some individual video and some scouting video as well. I, I don't, you know, and I'm doing other things at the same time, so I don't detect a, a specific pattern that, you know, that it's so regimented that I'm going to get X number of shots up at, at X on the clock or, or whatever. But there is a particular choreography who's on the floor at what time. Some guys like to shoot early. Dylan Brooks likes to shoot early. John Morant likes to shoot late. And they work with a particular uh, assistant coach as they get ready for the game. So uh, maybe not the best answer in the world, but uh, that's all I got. And I really do appreciate you uh, listening and uh, responding on Twitter. And our thanks to Tom and to Tia as well for asking their questions of me for our NBA mailbag. Hopefully we uh, will get to do this again. Uh, my DMs are always open. Or if you just want to tweet at me directly, that's that's perfectly fine. Would love to hear from you uh, and get your input into the Grizz Weekly Grind, which today is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, football fans, I know that we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. I mean, what are the odds of a 0-0 tie? If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action because everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN, bet $1 on any team to score, and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, to wrap up the show, we'll get with our friend of the program, Mark Folliwell, is a longtime television voice of the Dallas Mavericks. He started out on the radio side, moved over to television, where he is joined now by Derek Harper and Jeff Skinway. They do a fabulous job on the Mavericks telecasts on Bally Sports Southwest. He is also a soccer announcer for Dallas FC and has done some international uh, soccer work for 
NBC and the Olympics, and uh, also does some college football as well. He's really a really good guy, big foodie. If uh, you follow him on social media, you will probably find out what he had for dinner, and he is uh, very, very good about checking out new restaurants around the NBA. But he, uh, we got a chance to catch up on Wednesday. He was down in New Orleans as the Mavericks were getting ready to play the New Orleans Pelicans and uh, brought me up to date on the state of the Dallas Mavericks in advance of not only the game with the Pelicans, but also advance of the game with the Memphis Grizzlies, which comes up on Saturday. Here's Mark Followell, our friend of the program. Mark, long time no play between the uh, the Grizzlies and the Dallas Mavericks, and uh, I haven't had a chance to dive into any tape yet because I'm getting ready for the Oklahoma City game on Thursday night. You're getting ready for a game in New Orleans tonight. Uh, state of the Mavericks, take us wherever you want to go with that. Oh, wow. Well, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> the, the, the pitch is wide open, sir. Well, uh, I like your soccer reference, and I think that uh, if we were to discuss state of the Mavs, um, it would depend on the day and after the particular game that you ask. So as we talk here on Wednesday afternoon of the week before the Mavs and Grizzlies are going to play on Saturday night, Pete, the state of the Mavs has been in a little rough patch lately, to be quite honest with you. Uh, they've lost five out of their last six games. So what's been going on in five of those six games? Well, they look, they went on the road and they played Phoenix twice. And Phoenix is on this 18-game winning streak. And the Mavericks played them without Luka. And they actually played them quite well. And both games were Maverick leads going into the fourth quarter. And then Chris Paul did what Chris Paul does in the fourth quarter of games. We, so we've all been there. We have yeah, all been we, there. <laughs> yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it once. We've seen it a hundred times, literally, it feels like. So, uh, you know, those two games were losses. Uh, they had a very winnable game against the Clippers. Uh, they got away from them. Then they won an, an overtime game against L.A. to complete that road trip the night that Luka came back. Then they came home and played Washington and Cleveland. And, you know, I don't know where how you feel about this, Pete, but the Eastern Conference has clearly improved this year. Very and much Washington, so. Cleveland. Yeah, Washington yeah. and Cleveland make up part of that for sure. And so uh, these were two games at home that uh, the Washington game, the Mavs had a chance to win it. And down the stretch, I thought that Caldwell Pope and Kuzma, who have championship pedigree, made difference-making plays for the Wizards. Uh, and the Mavs were not tied together defensively in that game on Saturday night. And then they were uh, just completely untied and unraveled defensively in the game that they played against Cleveland on Monday night. So state of the Mavs lately is uh, defensively poor in the last two games against Washington and Cleveland, particularly protecting the paint. I think both games were 60 points in the paint allowed. And it was a highlight real dunk fest uh, for the Cavaliers, for Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and even Lowry Martinen to some degree. Um, and then this team is just in, quite honestly, Pete, they're in a team-wide shooting slump right now. I mean, I could pull my notes and we could go player by player, not every player, but we could go down a long list of players and tell you what their career three-point shooting number was, what their three-point shooting number was last year. And then we would look at this year and there's a noticeable downtrend from career numbers and last season numbers. So, um, you know, that, that's, that, that's in essence the state of the, the big picture state of the Mavs without getting into the focus on any one particular individual right now. Let's focus on one particular individual because Kristaps Porzingis has had the history with injury. How has yeah. his health been? How has his production been given that last year he was missing games because of the recovery from knee surgery? Well, so it will be interesting to see what happens this weekend because this will be the first back-to-back that they played in some time. Um, this is what's happened with KP this year, Pete. 
He played the first three games of the season. In the third game of the year, he went out with a, a, a sore with tight lower back, lower back tightness. I'll get it right. Get the official designation of the injury right in a minute. Lower back tightness. And then missed five games. Now, it just so happens that was a five-game and seven-day stretch that had a couple of back-to-backs. So what their plan is for a back-to-back, he hasn't been available for one yet to know. He came back after that stretch of five games and seven days um, and played very well in the first game back against Boston. Then had a game where he scored something like 12 or 13 points and went on a tear, went on a career-long stretch of 20-plus point games. He scored 20 or more in seven straight games and was playing really well. Some shot opportunities obviously were available for him in three of those games when Luca wasn't playing that would normally be there. Uh, so he played quite well in all of those games. Uh, you know, he's not just a floor spacer like he was last year. There's a lot more mid-range. There's a lot more post-up. He's getting to the free throw line more. He's cutting off the ball because I think Chris has got very good off-ball movement instincts. So he had this stretch of seven games where he had 20-plus points. Uh, that came to an end against the Wizards on Saturday. Then he had a nine-point game where he didn't shoot the ball typically, uh, terribly well against Cleveland on Monday. And at the very end of the third quarter of that game, he stepped on somebody's foot and rolled his ankle. It does not look like this is a really serious injury. Uh, there's a possibility he may not miss any actual games because of it. We'll know more in a few hours as we record this on Wednesday afternoon before the Mavs and Pelicans on, on Wednesday night. But I'm pretty optimistic that uh, if, he, if he were to miss tonight, then he would only miss that game. Um, you know, and, and that may not even be the case. He may not miss any games at all, but I don't know what they're going to do for a back-to-back, obviously, that the Mavs are facing this weekend where they're going to play the Pelicans again on Friday night and then the Grizzlies at home on Saturday. But he's played really well in a lot of games this year and has made no bones about the fact that he's refreshed and energized by the coaching change and being used in a different fashion than he was before. Our friend of the program on the Grizz Weekly Grind today is Mark Follower, a longtime Television voice started out as the radio voice of the Dallas Mavericks. You also hear him do MLS action as well and international soccer, one of the great American voices of the beautiful game. What about Jalen Brunson? Because this is a guy that I think hurt the Grizzlies as much as anybody last season. His ability to run the pick and roll, and he might be one of those guys, and there's so many guys in our league that unless you follow the league on a day-to-day basis, you don't know that much about Jalen Brunson, but boy, he can be a difference maker. How's he played this year? He's played well. Now he's another guy who's just had a little recent bump in the road because of an injury. So in the Mavericks game that they played two days before Thanksgiving, Pete, Jalen went to the basket, went down when he went to the basket. And when he went down, uh, even to Zubots stepped on his left foot. And so it was pretty painful, pretty sore. And I think Jalen at the time probably thought the injury was actually going to be worse than it was. Uh, he practiced the day after Thanksgiving. He was sore after going through a full practice. So they did not play him in Saturday night's most recent Saturday night game against the Washington Wizards, but he did play against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, didn't play terribly well in the game on Monday night, but even with that, his month of November ends up as his highest scoring month he's ever had in four seasons in the league, 16.4 points per game in the games that he played in the month of November. So Jalen continues to take steps forward. Uh, You know, he's comfortable running a team. He's comfortable in late game situations. He can, as you said, run the pick and roll. Uh, The Mavs have played games this year where Jalen's been a big part of the closing lineup and gotten a lot of shot opportunities and a lot of opportunities to run the offense down the stretch. And Luca has deferred and played off the ball and Jalen's been on the ball and he's been the guy who's been exploiting mismatches. So I think Jalen, just like he did last year from, 
season two, which ended abruptly for him with a shoulder injury just after the All-Star break in 2020. He got hurt in a game against Atlanta. He got fouled by Dwayne Dedman and took a bad fall to the floor that injured his shoulder quite badly, and he didn't play for the rest of that year, And nor did he even play in the resumption of the season in the bubble. So he missed all of that time. His game took a jump forward last year, and I think outside of his three-point percentage, which is a team-wide epidemic, as I told you right now for the Mavs, outside of his three-point percentage, uh, his game has taken another step forward this year that he just continues to get better and better in terms of running a team, being more assertive on offense, driving the ball, and being just an all-around quality player who, like I said earlier, is also very, very much capable of being on the floor at the end of games and having the ball in his hands and making plays for himself or other people or just making critical decisions. Something of a transitional year for the Mavericks because Rick Carlisle, winning his coach in franchise history, won a title with you guys. And, and the, cha- the change is made. What has the transition been like after having Rick Carlisle be there so long and so successfully, and then you make a change at the top? I feel like it's gone pretty smoothly from my perspective. Um, you know, the one thing that stands out to me, uh, you know, is not to say that Rick wasn't communicative or anything like that, but Jason has expressed time and time again about, and I think he's expressed this, by the way, probably from some of his own missteps that he will admit to when he was a head coach with the Brooklyn Nets for a year and with the Milwaukee Bucks for three and a half seasons. But there's a a real stress on communication and not one-way communication, but two-way communication. Uh, You know, it's not a one-way, my way, the highway, I'm the hammer and the nail kind of situation uh, like you might have seen back in the day with Jerry Sloan was he was when he was in Utah or the way, uh, you know, pop could coach if he right. chose to, uh, you know, from his situation in San Antonio. So I think the transition has been pretty smooth. Uh, you know, there's a lot of new assistants. There are a few holdover assistants. Uh, they're doing some things some different ways, but nothing that I think that's uh, extremely unique and different to, you know, if you've been around the league for a long time, it's not like they're reinventing the wheel here or anything like that. Uh, Obviously they've made defense a priority and I'm comfortable saying, even though they've had a hiccup lately. And so because of that, we're still at the stage of the season where numbers can be influenced by a couple of bad games. So I can't point to numbers to give you and say, Oh, look, here's how I can prove that the Mavs are a better team defensively. But I have seen it happen in games this year where this team does play better defensively. Uh, they're, they're generating some more turnovers. Uh, you know, there's a competitiveness on the defensive end of the floor uh, that has happened this year in a lot of games. Now, again, the one thing that's happened, and Jason would be the first to point to this, is that the Mavs are like a lot of teams. And Rick said this over the years as well. When you aren't making shots, You cannot let that make you drop your shoulders and get down and not focus on the defensive end of the floor. And I really feel like that's something that's happened in the last couple of games, uh, particularly against Cleveland on Monday night. Maybe a little bit less so against the Wizards, but particularly against Cleveland on Monday night. But by and large part, uh, you know, I think things are, are going well in terms of what the transition is. Yeah, it's easy to say if you miss a shot. Don't slump your shoulders, get back, play defense. That's yeah. easy to say. It's easy to try and coach, but to, but to make it happen is really, really hard. And I think maybe in some sense, the Mavericks and Grizzlies are kind of in the same boat, which they're level at a game above 500 as, as we record this. And I've always said, you really don't know who you have or what you have as a team until you get at least 20 games in. 
And even with this Grizzlies team right now, 21 games in, I'm not really sure where, where the Grizzlies are. And, and I wonder, are, are the Mavericks in, in bit of a, a feeling out, sorting out process? Okay, what is this team going to be in a, in a very fluid Western Conference, really outside of Phoenix? Absolutely, they're still in a feeling out process. No question about that. And as a matter of fact, Jason has been saying throughout the course of the season, and this is maybe one thing that's a little bit different because I've been here when Rick's talked about knowing what you've got 20 games into a season and Avery Johnson talked about knowing what you have 20 games into a season. Jason said, I always felt like as a player that you don't really have a feel of who you are until Christmas. Uh, so I think that their, their approach is right now that as the Mavs get ready to play their 20th game of the season on Wednesday night, December the 1st, the Mavs have uh, been fortunate that they haven't had, you know, a lot of back-to-backs. And so they've, they're tied for fewest games played in the league as we record this on Wednesday the 1st. Obviously, they're going to have to start paying the piper because they've got three back-to-backs within the first 13 days of the month of December. They've got the back-to-back this weekend against the Pelicans and Grizzlies. They've got one next weekend, uh, next week rather, that will be Brooklyn at home on Tuesday and then at Memphis on Wednesday. And then they've got another back-to-back on the 12th and 13th of December uh, where they're going to play a road game against Oklahoma City and a home game against the Charlotte Hornets. So uh, they're going to catch up schedule-wise, and they're going to be on level terms in in, uh, terms of number of games that other teams have played here very, very soon. But the point of all of that is, is I think their feeling is, especially with injuries and players going in and out of the lineup and new coach and new coaching staff and some schematic things, some systemic things that are different, that they don't really have uh, an honest to goodness feel for who they are and what they can be yet. And I think that Christmas time is sort of the target date before some of those things begin to crystallize for them. Yeah, that's that, that. That's a very interesting perspective uh, from from Jason Kidd. Yeah, usually it's twenty games, but right now, and I think the Grizzlies, that's going to be uh, deferred even a little bit longer because of the injury to John Morant. Mark, well, I got to get one soccer thing in here, and it's yeah, it's, sure. it's, it's only tangentially soccer because we know that Ted Lasso is a show that involves soccer, but it's not really about soccer kind of right. sort of so so uh and and i'm i'm assuming i'm assuming that you have watched ted lasso seasons one and two is that is that a fair assumption well unfortunately uh it's not a fair assumption because i'm still a person who has not cut the cord yet uh so i'm a uh, i'm a cable person i like having my uh my my it's, it's i have at&t verse uh i don't know if they're a sponsor of your podcast but for the first for the next few seconds they will be, <laughs> they will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> i have you verse uh i like having my my channel choices i like having something i feel confident in i like having my valley sports on there as well my valley sports southwest uh, to be able to watch rangers games and stars games or repeats of mavs games or whatever so uh, I, uh, I've seen some things of Ted Lasso, but I have not seen seasons one and two. However, it is very funny that you bring that up uh, <laughs> because Jason Kidd has sort of compared himself to Ted Lasso in terms of what his approach is here as the coach. Because I do think that Jason is really approaching things and as much of a feel-good perspective. I mean, he jokes that he and the team, he hasn't said this recently, but he said this a lot early in the year. He's, he's joked, well, we're dating right now. You know, and when you're in the dating phase of a new relationship, everything is great. Nobody wants to get into a fight or anything like that. There are obviously going to be rough waters and tough times ahead for the Mavs. And, you know, they're kind of going through one right now and communication that they've stressed hopefully is going to help them. But, uh, in terms of the whole feel good, mentality jason has sort of actually referred to himself as ted lasso and i think by the way he he points out 
that he learned a lot about communication and letting go of some things and also communication and relationship with star players, because of course there's one here in Luca right. and one who's got the potential to be uh, in Christoph's Porzingis. But he said he learned a lot from Frank Vogel, especially about, you know, you don't have to have control of everything and also about how to interact with star players like obviously LeBron and Anthony Davis. So, so that's a long answer to your question. No, I haven't seen it, but <laughs> yes, I'm familiar with it. And Jason has actually referred to himself in Ted Lasso like terms. See, and I thought we're going to have this Great conversation about Jamie Tart and Roy Kent. Well, he look here. Here's the thing: I have not cut the cable either. Okay, right. and so I do have Apple TV now. I, I will give you a tip here because you're a very, okay. very, very dear friend. You can get Apple TV for a month free trial and just cancel it. Just binge right. watch well, the two you. seasons. Okay. Do that um, because it, it it is really funny, and we get to see Arlo White actually. Show his comedic chops. I think. I think even for that, I think you 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 need to watch this. See, just to just to watch Arlo White uh, play play comedy and and do it quite well actually. But well, I love Arlo's broadcast work on NBC and thrilled to see that the Premier League is staying with them for another six years with that announcement. You know, love the work that he does and all of the crew. By the way, the two Robbies, I've had a chance to work with both of them on NBC Olympic broadcast. Rebecca Lowe. I mean, they're so good in studio. Uh, funny story about uh, about life and everything like that. My wife has actually suggested the same thing that you're suggesting, which is, honey, we need to like cart, you know, do some new things. And so we've talked about wanting to binge watch some shows. And you said Ted Lasso is one that you want to do. And we have an outside like screened in porch area. You know, the weather is nice enough in Dallas mm-hmm. that we get to enjoy that a lot of the year. Uh, so, so we have a TV out there where we watch football, football a lot on Sunday, and we do have some streaming options out there. We just haven't put Apple TV on it. That is on the plan to do that. And the reason I haven't done that is because since your listeners are in SEC country, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm invested, of course, in the SEC now because this year, Pete, I started a graduate school program. I'm, I'm working on an online master's in journalism at uh, the University of Alabama. So, of course, at 50 years old, Pete, I've uh, decided to latch on to rooting for the Crimson Tide now. (laughs) They're getting money from me. You know, one of my good buddies who I work with and do a podcast with, Brian Damaris, who uh, is a former director, uh, he's a former analytics guy with the Mavs back in 2002 and 2004 in the very infancy of analytics coming into the NBA. And we do a podcast together, and he is just absolutely seething at the fact that at 50 years old, I'm trying to latch on to Alabama to go along with my beloved North Texas Mean Green. You know, we're audio on this podcast, but we right. see each other on Zoom right now. So, you know, I've, I've, I'm repping the Mean Green right now. But, uh, yeah, he's absolutely seething that I'm trying to latch on to Alabama. But my semester doesn't end until later this week. So once that's done and I have some time, yes, we're going to binge watch Ted Lasso. Okay, my wife, I promise my wife we're going to do that. Okay, good. And then we will then we will circle back and we will talk about uh, the show that involves soccer, but is not really about soccer, but is kind of sort of about soccer. <laughs> and American good life lessons. Yeah, yeah good life lessons from it. I, I will. I will say this. This is the thing that I like most about Ted Lasso. The writing is fantastic. The, the right. casting is is so spot on. And you walk away from every episode, sometimes pinballing between laughter and tears. And yeah. That's, That's good, man. Yeah, so I, I I hope that you enjoy it. I've certainly enjoyed this conversation, and I'm going to enjoy seeing you and Harp this weekend because yeah. it's been far, far too long, and, and we've been very lucky here in Memphis that 
We've traveled to every game. I just got back from Toronto, and uh, actually, it was it was one of the easiest visits we've ever had to Toronto. Ironically, wow. given given the state of the world right now, um, but really looking forward with getting to connect with uh, with all of our friends, and we certainly include you and Harp in, in that in that distinguished list. And so, we're looking forward to seeing you this weekend. Well, I mean this sincerely, man. I can't wait to see you, Pete, and see Eric, and see Brevin, and see Rob, and see the whole gang, man. Really have missed seeing. You guys in particular, all of our NBA broadcast brethren. But uh, as you know, uh, you guys are uh, dear friends to me. And, you know, we have a great connection between our two broadcast crews, man. So I'm I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing you guys and looking forward to a, a renewal of the uh, Mavs-Grizz rivalry, if you will. And so we'll, we'll get to see each other twice in the span of five days. And that'll be good for us from a broadcast perspective and, and good for the teams as well, because that will – you know, help start to, you know, establish some things and differentiate some things in the standings here in an early stage of the season. These will be important games. Now, thanks so much for the visit, Mark. I do appreciate it. You got it, Pete. So there you go. The state of the Dallas Mavericks from the voice of the Dallas Mavericks, Mark Followill. We appreciate his time as friend of the program. As I said, uh, we appreciate the questions so we could open up the mailbag and looking forward to a very busy weekend for the Memphis Grizzlies. They will be in Dallas on Saturday and then on Monday night, they will be in Miami to take on the Heat. So uh, we'll recap the Dallas game for you in the next edition of the Grizz Weekly Grind. In the meantime, I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.